On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets? And who in Ireland is providing the technology to help them do that? We talk to one of the country's biggest automotive autonomy entrepreneurs. I have BMW Drive Assist in my own vehicle and it is much, much safer because we are all prone to distraction, especially when we're on the motorway from Limerick to Dublin, for example. We've all been there where you actually forgot a whole section of the road. So I would say if you take it from a safety perspective and it does allow you to kind of relax. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Shachtan and Indo Askeliga. Time imon irukti yen of chakt erachor. Agus suligam a makan sha gurfeder erachor inuik kiart len of winter thing. Skilti fis turmi. Tashi dochrecha nach vetoch ara igornamyan on kestin ekol. Vien talam aginam griv orkar nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Welcome, countdown stats today. Johnny Sexton, Ireland's captain, has said for the first time in his tenure in the green jersey, the team are already openly discussing the 2023 tournament in France. I suppose we might as well try something different given how the last couple of tournaments have gone. It's 682 days until the tournament kicks off. Luke, I don't think that's too early, though, do you? Uh, no, Will, certainly don't. Uh, I am surprised you missed the opportunity to give us an hours and minutes in that countdown. Um, uh, it's a bit unlike you. Usually, like you're, you're those. I actually think it's details. seven minutes and six hundred ninety-two days and seven like minutes. But it, it, we're <laughs> we're currently recording at seven minutes to eight o'clock. I'm pretty sure it's an eight o'clock kickoff for France New Zealand. So, <laughs> right on. Um, yeah, look, I like this. I'm looking forward to getting stuck into it with um, with our guests later on. Um, you know, I think it's probably, as you said, nice to have a little bit of a change of mentality and focus, and particularly the interaction with the media. I think. Um, you know, people want to hear you say something. So uh, I liked it a lot. Yeah, well, for me, I've already moved on to the 2027 World Cup. Our quarterfinal draws are so difficult this time. France or New Zealand that I've just mentally bypassed it. And I'm just, I'm just <laughs> kind of box ticking. This will be a box ticking <laughs> World Cup for me. I just won't even engage with it really in a meaningful way. I, but mentally, I'll just be kind of checked out. I'll be in a catatonic comatose state. Do enjoy your, your glass uh, half empty uh, mentality, Will. I, I, Every, those six day breaks that I get from you, I, I do miss that about you. Um, <laughs> that that little bit of that that cynical cynical side to you. Um, yeah, we're, we're reunited I, look, tonight. Probably, I'm, I'm, I I don't know how I feel like I might regret uh, <laughs> being positive about this and talking about it so early, but uh, I hope I'm wrong. I hope the change of mentality is good. Yeah, well, we might as well try something else. There's only, well, there's only so many other things that you can try at this stage. Well, we have a very busy show tonight. Lots to talk about from the weekend. Connacht versus Ulster was the big one from an Irish perspective. A great victory for Connacht. Kind of captured their season in a nutshell, really. Kind of going from a defeat to, to a really impressive victory. Also, we're going to talk about Munster's defeat to the Ospreys. Kind of a disappointing day for Yeoman Grand side. Where they're going to go from here with a, an interesting period coming up with the long break and then a very... Difficult run of games. Leinster getting a bonus point on Friday night in Glasgow as well. What an impressive performance. We also might touch on Greg McWilliams' appointment as the Ireland women's head coach. A very positive move after what has been a tough few weeks for the team. But first, we're going to touch on Johnny Sexton's kind of interesting revelation earlier today. And we're delighted to have Keen Tracy on with us to do it. Keen, how are you? Hey, lads. How are you getting on? Yeah, good, good to have you. Uh, good to have you back on the show. Uh, lots to talk about. A very busy weekend for the provinces. But we might kick off with... Some very interesting comments uh, by Johnny Sexton uh, this afternoon ahead of the uh, Autumn Internationals. He was kind of talking a bit about, obviously, his own fitness, which he hopes to be available for the Japan game in two weeks' time. But interestingly, he kind of gave a bit of an insight into maybe how Ireland are going about preparations for the next World Cup, which is obviously a very hot topic uh, when it comes to Ireland, given their past performances. He he, he kind of revealed that this time around, they're, they're kind of targeting it very specifically from two years out. They've kind of maybe set the clock on the build-up now. You know, what, what did you make of his comments today or maybe give a bit more context to them? Yeah, I thought, I thought it was interesting. Um, 
I guess we'll get on to what it actually means in, in tangible terms. I think that's really the most important thing. It's all well and good kind of saying, oh, we're recognizing it from two years, but what are they actually doing with those two years? I think it's going to be the most important thing. But I think when the squad was announced last week, it was done uh, by email press release. There was no press conference, so we didn't get a chance to talk to Andy Farrell, but there were a few quotes in the press release from Farrell. And, you know, they're usually like run-of-the-mill stuff, and they pretty much were, but... I thought it was interesting that I think it was in the second line of the press release from Farrell's quotes. He was he mentioned the World Cup, this being the start of their World Cup journey. And I felt that that was that was very pointed, uh, particularly for something in a press release. And then Johnny Sexton was speaking today at the launch of the, the autumn tests, basically. And he kind of brought it up um, on off his own bat as well. So look, clearly my reading into it is it's clearly a something that they're trying to get out there to, to the media. Um, like, you know, we asked him a bit more about it. And he said that, yeah, like, why, why should they shy away from, from the World Cup now? Like I said, I think the bigger thing is what's going to happen within those two years. Like, I mean, sometimes in this country, we get a bit obsessed with, like, World Cup cycles. Uh, I know we spent plenty of time talking about them on this podcast as well. But I suppose if you look at, like, what South Africa did at the last World Cup and, you know, they pretty much proved that it, it can be done um in two years but um yeah I don't know like from like from a selfish journalistic point of view it drives me nuts when we're talking to players and they tell us like they wrote out the line that like we're next game focused we're not thinking too far ahead like it, it just drives me spare like because I think people who are reading this stuff and rugby fans can see through that kind of thing as well um as I'd be interested to hear what it was like for for you Luke when you were kind of in involved like in 2015 like was this what was it like under Joe Schmidt because we always got the impression like he always told us like that you know oh, we're, we're we're not looking that far ahead we're next game focused blah 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 but this is definitely a, a bit of a change up for the books yeah I think you know generally they I think he was nearly afraid to do that uh, to a certain extent like there was different parts say when you got together um, like I say maybe at a point like this uh, where you know, you can say, look, there's, you know, we're, 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 we're on the kind of World Cup trip and it's probably starting today, you know, in terms of what we're looking at. This is kind of getting pretty serious. We're, you know, we have this in our in our sights. And, uh, you know, from this point on, you got to be thinking that's your long term goal. And Joe would have done a bit of that stuff, too. But I think he very much would have got quickly back to saying, you know, to, to I suppose living that party line if 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 that's the right word, uh, Keen. Like he, some coaches are afraid to let people get too ahead of that because they start thinking, you know, they get a few ideas, of, you know, above their own station, and 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 you know, loads can happen in this little period. Um, I'm I would be of the same opinion on that. I did like to hear it today. Like it's more interesting than the usual stuff that you get. You know, the the communications director just kind of gives you four or five things to say you know, and then shut down anything that's kind of outside this area that you're not comfortable with. Um, that party line, does that really engage people? I mean, some people seem to just keep reading it over and over, but I, to me, I'd lose interest. As soon as I read one or two lines like that in an interview, I just go, right, he's not giving this person anything. Um, and he doesn't see the value in this, which I think is crazy because particularly at the moment when we're under so much stress, you know, financially, like you need supporters to be engaged. There's new competitions going on. There's all sorts going on in the game at the moment. New rules. We need to be engaging as many people as possible in the game. So I was delighted to see it. Um, I see no problem with engaging in the conversation and saying, yeah, look, that's definitely something that we've talked about. Um, I still think it's very important to be next match focused. But sure, everyone knows that at this stage. Like if you're not smart enough to be able to differentiate the two and recognize that the fixture in front of you is the most important one every single week. Um, but then I, I don't know, I just don't think it gives people any credit for being, you know, for having some kind of brain power uh, and being able to motivate themselves by their own standards or their own high standards every single week. Cause I think people who don't have those things don't generally go on the trips anyway. So, um, or they're not part of the plan. So yeah, it was great to see Ken. I uh, really enjoyed it. And um, I don't know what you thought, Will. I, I, I found yeah. it very, you know, uh, I, I found it great. I, I found it interesting. I'm just, you know, just wondering myself, like it, it is now focusing on it or making it a very specific overt focus this far in advance. Does that build it up even more? Remember the, the phrase performance anxiety was used 
in the in the review of the last World Cup in the sense that they maybe the pressure got to them is building it up two years out in advance. Is there any any danger of that? Is it is it putting it on a bigger pedestal? Do you not think about it? Have you not switched into that mode already yourself? But I'm not in the squad. Like it's ground no, no, for me. Sorry, leaving that aside, the performance anxiety thing. I did, I feel like a huge part of that was down to having too much to remember. You know, too tight a game plan. I don't think it was. I, I don't know if it was necessarily that they they were thinking about it for too much. I think they had too. The game plan was too strict and rigid. Loads to remember. Um, and I think it was a bit of that stuff as well. Um, you know, I, I'm not I'm not necessarily sure it was, it was down to you know talking about it too early. But like in my mind, I'm I'm thinking like we've already had this conversation last or the last couple of weeks about the tens. Mm. Like I've already switched it to gone okay. Of course, we want to be successful in every tournament we're playing, every team we're playing. But I'm still going, okay, but like we're short of 10. Like, what's going on at 10? Like, what's happening there? I'm already thinking for the World Cup. And I think you are, I like maybe. I think it's. Yeah, I are, think, you, are you the same, Keen? Are you kind of thinking, well, okay, how are, we, how are we shaping up for this thing? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like, just on Will's point, like, like the World Cup is the biggest thing. Like, I don't know, can you really blow it up and make it more important than what it is? Because it is, like, hugely important. Like, I get what you're saying, is there a risk that, you, you know, you kind of players getting overawed by it but like that's the nature of the beast I think it's interesting that it came from sex and naturally enough because he is captain but he's a guy who's been at the last three world cups with Ireland like he's had a you know a front row seat for what went wrong in the cycles so like I would love to know kind of what role is he playing behind the scenes to ensure that the same mistakes aren't made again because yeah you touched on the performance anxiety which obviously came out in the in the previous review but like we didn't get to see the kind of the, the full review into that, like what actually is going to be different this time around. So that's why I think it's interesting that they're saying it, but like tangibly, like what does it actually mean? I think, and Andy Farrell is going to speak, we're obviously recording on at Tuesday, Andy Farrell is going to speak on Thursday um, this week, and I'm sure he's going to be asked about it. And I think it'll be very interesting to hear, you know, how he explains that why this time, at this point of the World Cup cycle two years out will be different apart from just recognising that it is two years out. Yeah, well, it is interesting. Obviously, he was in the last, you know, coaching staff. So he's obviously taken a look at certain things, Luke, and decided he wants to do it slightly differently, which you'd expect, obviously, putting your own stamp on it. But it, it, it as Akeen said, it will be interesting to hear his explanation as to why he's maybe diverged from the path the team took the last time. Other than the fact that, obviously, the World Cup didn't go very well in the end. Like, Good chance it's because he's English. <laughs> seriously no no I'm, I'm actually not being smart like I, I generally feel that about it if you look at I always remember Owen Redden telling us the week before playing English teams never talk them up don't talk them, just don't like just say look obviously respect but the, give them the usual line but never talk them up they like to be talking about it and, and kind of building something up uh, whereas Irish people generally like to talk themselves down and come in under the radar and surprise everyone the usual kind of lines whereas I, I think you know English people they're 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 pretty confident uh, generally. And that's probably a generous way of putting that. <laughs> but, um, you know, particularly for mo- most people over here, view, view uh, you know, English people met possibly as maybe a little bit too confident going into big tournaments, particularly around soccer ones. And But uh, look, I think I-, I like it. I like to set out the stall that this is the plan. This is what we're all on the cycle to now. I see no problem with it. And I think if you're not thinking about this as a player, um, particularly the older guys and some of the younger guys, like there'll be people who are in the middle of their careers, your Henshaws and these guys who are thinking, that, look, this is per, I'm peaking perfectly for this. But there's guys like Johnny Sexton who need to hang on and manage themselves well uh, until the World Cup. And then there's going to be a few young guys, uh, you know, your Ben Healy's, your a few of these people who are kind of thinking, mm, how do I, how do I fit in here? How do, like, what games do I need to, how do I need to play? What do I need to show the coach to get my nose in the door and, and uh, just get an opportunity? And then maybe I get on the plane. So there's, there's all these people now who I think that kicks them into gear thinking, well, okay, we're in the cycle. The coach is saying we're in the cycle. So I, I kind of like it. I feel like, you know, the, the anxiety around the World Cup is going to be there regardless of whether you're thinking about this one month before or three months or three years before. Like, I, I just feel like it's, it's huge anyway. I don't think, you know, it go, it's going to weigh on people. But I think of what it could do is it could really motivate you and focus you um, as to what's required and how you manage yourself and who your competition are, all these kind of things um, before. So I, I love it, Will. I think it's good. I think it's nice and confident. Um, we've tried everything else and uh, <laughs> it hasn't worked. So why not just state the obvious for once? Yeah, I think Rory O'Connor, a good friend of the show, put it well when the draw was made for the last World Cup. 
So they had like a very lengthy montage and Ireland didn't feature in a single moment and it went on for about 15 minutes. So it kind of shows that we probably need to create maybe or to go with a different pathway uh, building up to the tournament. But it's definitely going to be interesting, Keane, as you say, to, to see what Andy Farrell will say later in the week. But for now, we might switch back to the weekend. I know you were at Connacht versus Ulster, Keane, the Aviva on Saturday evening. You know, in typical of Connacht season so far, you know, when you're maybe expecting a zag, they zig and vice versa. Really good game. We might get into the specifics in a minute, but firstly, like, what, what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I thought it was great. Um, I mean, like Connacht went into that game under huge pressure. They lost two in a row, like losing three in a row, going into a long five-week break would have been a disaster. And then you also had the fact that Connacht gave up home advantage to to move it to the Aviva, which by all accounts didn't go down well with a lot of the natives in Galway and the kind of the province, you know, because for all different reasons, as you can imagine. So there was a lot of kind of pressure on Connacht to deliver. And I think it was only 9,000, just shy of 10,000. They definitely would have been hoping for a lot more. So that was the only sort of disappointing aspect of the day from a Connacht point of view. But yeah, you're right, Will. It was it was a snapshot of exactly what Connacht are about. But like when, they, when they're when they on it, they're, they're just so good to watch. Uh, they absolutely dominated Ulster in every department. I thought Ulster were were shocking, to be honest. Um, I think a lot of that was down to the pressure that Connacht put on them. But like Ulster hadn't really been challenged at all this season. I know they had won four out of four going into it, but this was the first proper test they faced, and they failed it miserably, like absolutely miserably. And I think it was a real wake up call, another one for Ulster. Um, but from a Connacht point of view, yeah, like. Jack Carty again, I suppose like that was probably the biggest talking point to come out of the game. He had another really, really good game, backed up his good performance um, in Tolman Park for the previous week. And, you know, for two weeks running, he's been the best Irish out half on show. You know, he got the better of Joey Carberry in their battle. He was significantly better than Billy Burns, who, who was so far off the pace. I know he's behind a beaten pack, but throwing two intercept passes, a uh, really poor, tough afternoon for him. But yeah, from from Cardi's point of view, I just don't think he can do any more to to sort of force the issue with Andy Farrell. Andy Farrell was at the Aviva on Saturday, and you know sometimes like a coach just doesn't rate a player, and like it's like I know there's a huge chorus like of you know to try and get Jack Carty into the Irish squad, but I think when you take the emotion out of everything, it I can understand where Andy Farrell is coming from. Johnny Sexton is still the best ten comfortably in Ireland. Uh, I just don't, they're just not going to ditch Joey Carberry despite his worrying form. And I don't even think Joey Carberry is that far away, to be honest, from clicking. And uh, he clearly, Andy Farrell clearly rates Harry Byrne hugely. Now, I can understand, like, that's so harsh in Jack Carty because if you're judging on form, then he should be comfortably ahead of uh, Harry Byrne. But Andy Farrell clearly sees Harry Byrne has a higher ceiling in his view than Jack Carty does. And it's also worth remembering, like, you, Will, you touched on the fact that Andy Farrell was in involved in the previous World Cup cycle. So like he's worked with Jack Carty before. So like maybe he's seen something that that we don't see. Like I, I don't know. Like his his goal kicking was poor enough at the weekend. I don't know if that's necessarily a reason solely to not get in the squad. But I can understand where Farrell is coming from. But if I was Jack Carty, like I'd be I'd be really pissed off with it as well. Like I I could understand why he's so frustrated with the situation. Yeah, look, what do you make of that of the situation that's Keane outlined there? You know, it, as he said, you can make very rational arguments for the three out halves who were included in the squad. Obviously, as you know, Andy Farrell and Johnny Sexton alluded to, the World Cup is now the focus. Harry Byrne obviously makes sense, maybe as someone then to, to keep around the squad if you think he could be a viable, you know, alternative or option in two years' time. So, what, what do you make of that? With you know, given that Carty has been so good the last two weekends, yeah, look, I think we're probably comparing him to the wrong person there. Um, if I was Jack Cardi, I probably wouldn't be thinking about Harry Byrne, even though that'll be hard for him. It, he's clearly a young guy who's going to get an opportunity in there to be around the squad and possibly sneak in for... Um, I, I'm sorry, I'm not even sure there's time for him to, to sneak in for one, but he's definitely there to be around the squad. You'd probably be disappointed if you're looking against... Uh, if you're thinking, well, OK, how, how is Joey Carberry in there ahead of me? You know, on, on what basis is he there? Has he got a big lot of form behind him? Um, you know, that, that they can say, well, look, this is this is what Joey Carby's done over the last two years. He's going to be in here. I don't think he can, really. Um, but I don't think that, that Jack Carty can either, uh, if I'm being completely honest. And I'm a little bit unconvinced. I don't know why, but I'm just unconvinced by him. Um, and it's, it's really harsh, but I, I can't put a finger on why I am. And, um, you know, he, I can see he does some really nice things. He's got some lovely parts to his kicking game. Nice, you know, a few nice chips and grubbers and things like that. But... 
I just don't have him down as an international out half. Uh, I think Harry Byrne could be that. I think Jack, uh, sorry, I think, um, you know, Joey Carby could be that, uh, you know, provided he gets a run of games behind him. I, I always say to everyone's annoyance that I'm not sure it's his best position, but he, he could be in there because of that versatility as well. That's a real nice string to Joey's, uh, to Joey's bow, if you like. Um, and, and maybe that's why he's there. Also because he's a very, you know, he can be a very good 10, um, you know, on his day. But, um, yeah, it was a great performance just to go back to the team. I mean, I have to say I was unbelievably impressed by uh, Hanson and Porch and the wings. I thought they were a real handful, great pace. I thought the two guys in the centre were very, very strong and really led the line well. I thought they kind of almost suffocated Ulster a little bit. Um, and uh, I thought it was an unbelievably good performance. I thought they were really good around. Like, they kind of managed Ulster's pack very well in a few good positions. Um, I thought from line-out, they were good. Like, their line-out defence was good. Um, you know, the, the, it sounds like a weird thing for me to say, but the malls were kind of, I thought they defended some of them really well. Like that's a usually very dangerous platform. They were really good there at times. Um, and that combined with the defense, I thought was was probably the winning of the match for them, even though there was some lovely attacking football. I know some of the set plays, I mean, some of the set play stuff was pretty awful from Ulster. You'd be pretty disappointed about that. Um, but I thought they got beaten up around the pitch a bit as well. So uh, it was a tough day for Billy Burns. I, I don't think he's in the reckoning. Uh, I'd be surprised if he gets back in unless there's a, a lot of injuries uh, before the World Cup. Um, I've always thought that about him, um, not to be so blunt and harsh about it, but that's just, I don't. I think he's he could be very good for Ulster, but he's not an international uh, standard out half, in my opinion. And the kicking really lets him down. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a tough one for Ulster. Uh, very good from Connacht. And actually, the supporters who were there, I don't know if you saw, I mean, the supporters were going crazy. Um, they looked like they had a few drinks and all that as well, which they were enjoying. But the support that was there, I know they were disappointed they didn't get them in the sports ground, but the atmosphere actually looked like it was it was very good, particularly when they were getting on top, I suppose. It's always easy, but uh, it was a very enjoyable game. Yeah, no, it was really exciting. And Akeen, you know, Dan McFarland from an ultra perspective, spoke very interestingly after the game. I know you were in on that press conference about very kind of, obviously I was just reading the quote, so I don't know exactly how he was delivering this, but kind of like rhetorically asked, like, you know, what do I think of us at the moment? I really think we struggle as favourites. And went into a very lengthy answer, it seemed, about how frustrated he was that he thinks when Ulster teams or his Ulster team are maybe expected to put a team away, that they do struggle. And, you know, he spoke about maybe striving for more of a performance rather than a result as well. You know, can you put us there? Like, what, what, was, what was that kind of interaction like? Well, the interaction was great from our point of view because it was the first post-match press conference that we were in in person since, I think, like February 2020. And that makes like such a huge difference to being able to actually, you know, engage with someone like we're still doing this on Zoom. Like it's so much better when we're sitting around a table, like, you know, just for the flow of a conversation. So I think that maybe helped a little bit because he was he was clearly angry. He was so, so angry. Now, the one thing I would say is, he was totally gracious in defeat and he he said Connacht were far, far better team that they deserve to win. But yeah, like he, he was clearly unhappy with his players. But this is a familiar team to, to Ulster, like, isn't it? Um, like w- when it's put up to them and when they're expected to win, they always flatter to deceive. And like, that's like Luke touched on a few of the points there, like particularly up front. Like that's not a big Connacht pack. And like some like Connor Oliver, like I thought was outstanding, absolutely dominated the breakdown. And like he's not the biggest, like most ferocious back row in the world. And you look at that Ulster team, like they had Ian Henderson back in the pack, like, you know, Nick Timoney, who has, you know, been in good form this season, who has ambitions to play for Ireland next month. But I think a perform like a collective performance like that does them no favours at all. And I think Dama Farden probably hit the nail on the head. They do struggle when they're favourites. And, you know, they tend to, if they're going away in Europe to like a big English team or wherever, they can pull pull a performance out of the bag. But it's the nitty gritty that they've struggled with. And even despite the fact that they had 20 out of 20 points in the first four games, like there was good bits of play in each of their games without ever really, you know, thinking like, oh, Ulster are genuine title contenders. Uh, that was my sense after the first four games. And I think like, even more so after the fifth, I think Ulster are still going to be short come come the end of the season, to be honest. Yeah, it was funny. I actually caught the majority of their games against Sebre, Treviso and the Lions. I didn't catch much of the Glasgow game. And I, yeah, the, I had the same kind of feeling. I thought they were, you know, they were winning the games with their bonus points, but I didn't come away overly impressed by some like really good individual performances like Nathan Doak, you know, Craig Gilroy scored some nice tries and had a few lovely assists against Sebre. But look, you know, when a coach comes out after the game and, and he's so blunt about the team's performance, uh, you know, as a player, 
I, I, do you accept it, or are you a bit annoyed, maybe, that he he's gone and kind of laid it so so bluntly out in the in the public domain? Like he, he didn't really spare the team, basically saying as as a mindset that there's a flaw there. No, I think he's the leader of the team. I thought it was a pretty obvious statement. Um, you know, uh, you know, you you just have to look back on 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 their on the big days over the last. Geez, I don't know how many years at this stage, but they've always flattered to deceive and. Um, you know, I think they look like they're they're a team that really needs. Like, I think Vermeulen is a great signing for them, uh, but they look like they need a few talisman. Now, maybe that would be a bit harsh because Ian Henderson's like that's his first outing, you know, and that'll be have been a long enough season for him. So, don't want to you know be too harsh there, but like they need a few guys like him there to really lead them um, and get them through phases like this where they just seem like they can't get over the line or can't get a foothold in the big games, and they're just lacking a talisman or two in the pack. And that's been the same story for for quite a long period of time, if you ask me. Um, you know, if you think of the teams that have been successful um, over the last number of years, your Saracens, you know, your French packs, your Leinsters, uh, these teams who've been consistent. Uh, Exeter even are very cohesive, maybe not so many standout, but they just have really gritty packs and they can get the teams through difficult periods. And I just never really feel that with Ulster. I feel like there is, I feel like they're they, like they're in there, they're trending. I always keep, keep, sorry, seem to keep thinking at different points that they're trending in the right direction. But every time there's a big one, I feel like there's a big step back. And I don't know what that is. I don't know if there's a soft underbelly or there's something there that, I mean, it seems like Dan McFarland's feels the same way about it from his comments that he thinks that there's something there that they can't seem to have that toughness or that belief in themselves at the key moments against the big teams. Um, so that's someone that they really have to resolve. I don't know what the answer is myself. Um, and it sounds like they don't either yet. I think depth is a real issue for Ulster. I mean, I think if you look at the, the replacement front row who came off the bench last weekend, like no disrespect to them, but like, that's not top level. Um, and I think that is still a big issue. I think the Ulster Academy has actually done really good work over the last couple of years. You've guys like Dave McCann now breaking through, who I think looks like, looks like a, a super talent, but he's still only, what, 22. So can't exactly be relying on him to carry the can in the back row in these big games. I think a guy like Ethan McElroy has impressed me, Tom O'Toole. But I do agree with with Luke. There's, a, there's still a sort of, I don't know, there's still lacking a bit of punch in like Vermeulen is clearly a brilliant signing, but I don't think that signing him means that Ulster are suddenly going to be, you know, title contenders in Europe or the, you know, the URC. So uh, I think they have more issues at hand than just relying on uh, one superstar signing coming into the back row, because I think particularly in the front row, they still look a little bit short and particularly in the guys who were backing them up. I know Jack McGrath is obviously out injured at the moment and like him at top at top form like is is a super player and they were missing um, Marty Moore as well. So like when you're taking guys like that out, I think they, like as any team would, I guess, but I think their, their underbelly is, as Luke put it, and their sort of perceived lack of depth, I think, is still a big issue. Is Burns the answer as well? Like, I feel like I could re- you could rely on John Cooney in a big game to tough it out. Like, he can have a bad game, still make a great couple of tackles, he'll do a few things like that. Uh, his kicking off the ground is very reliable. But is, is he an answer to, like, I mean, every team has a, has usually has a pretty strong or reliable 10. Like, he looks a little bit flaky to me on the big stage as well. Like I've never really seen him have an outstanding one in a really tough game um, where they really needed him. Um, I, I, I don't know. I just don't feel like he's an answer for them. That, that's like when you have to bring on Ian Madigan to finish off the kicks for you in some of the big games, because your 10 isn't, you don't feel he's up to it. It kind of tells you something, um, you know? So I don't know. I feel like he's probably a bit of a problem for them too. And, and particularly when he's actually quite good in some of the kind of lesser games. Uh, you know, some of his short kicking looks really good. Some of his game management looks decent in those games. But in the big games, have I never, I've ever seen them, I don't know if I've ever really seen them like, you know, punch a team back consistently with nice kicks or put really good Gary Owens up when it's tight. You know, you see the odd nice kind of grubber or things like that. But like, you know, there's, there's a way of keeping your pack in the game, pressurizing the other team, putting the team in good positions, making the simple plays all the time, using McCluskey, these guys. There's a simple way of playing that position. And I just feel like sometimes in the big games, I just don't feel like you get that from him sometimes. And maybe he's on the back foot because of the other issues like we're talking about in the pack, maybe. Um, But I don't think we can always blame that on them, um, would be my opinion on that as well. I feel like he's just, I just don't know if he's a real top tier 10, in my opinion. 
I think mm. it's I think the, the place kicking is an interesting point, Luke, because like even with John Cooney out injured now, Ulster have gone to a 19-year-old like rookie scrum half to take their place kicks. And like if I was an out half, not we don't know what's going on behind the scenes in terms of the conversations that Billy Burns is having with Dan McFarland. But if that's me, and we're again we'll go back to the World Cup, we're two years out from World Cup. I'm going to the head coach and I'm saying I want to take the kicks, like not a 19-year-old rookie scrum half. Like, you know, you want to see the guy stepping up. So but I agree with you. I think I think Ian, he, it automatically rules him out of the World Cup if he can't kick because they yeah. have to pick someone else who can kick somewhere else in the backline, which we don't have. Yeah, and he's I, already gone. To be honest, I I would be very surprised if if he comes back into the equation from now until the World Cup. I I would agree with you. I think even someone like Ben Healy now is probably you know pushing pushing a little bit closer in terms of getting into that spot like Jack Harty. I think he proved it last weekend is comfortably ahead of him as well. And like Ireland have invested a bit of time into Billy Burns. And I think, again, we go back to the World Cup. I think from now in the next two years, I don't think you'll see a lot of caps handed out kind of willy nilly because I think Farrell is really going to try and nail down in terms of what his plans are going to be. Um, like you look at the summer tour next year is going to New Zealand. Like there won't be too many you know, I would say lads who won't be featured in the World Cup squad who'll be going down there. Learn it down there. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So um, it, it'll be interesting for sure. But I just think um, any doubts that people had about Billy Burns, he just didn't help his cause, I don't think, last weekend at all, particularly up against a, an Irish rival. Yeah, one damning statistic I saw from an old perspective was they think they've lost six Interpros in a row now, which when you're kind of battling with the other three Irish teams to get into the Champions Cup in that little mini league does not bode well. Uh, but they have plenty of time to, to change that over the course of the season. But as you say at the moment, uh, not not a good performance this weekend. Speaking of which, Munster losing to the Ospreys loop was a, a kind of very surprising result considering the Ospreys actually were under strength. Munster were welcoming back some of their big names like Damien Dielendi and Conor Murray who were on the bench. They had a, quite a strong team out as well. Ty Byrne was starting amongst, amongst a number of other big names. Just kind of a bizarrely poor performance, especially because they had been trending, as you said, in the right direction up to then. The Scarlet's performance, you know, had a lot of people very positive about the health of the wider squad. This seemed to be a perfect opportunity for some of the big guns, plus some of the young guys like Jack Crowley coming in to maybe take care of business on the road against a team you'd expect them to beat. Yeah, and it was a bit loose, I thought. Um, you know, penalty a minute and a half in was kind of like, uh, like are we, are we up for this? Um, was there is kind of the first question that that you kind of think of? Um, yeah, like I mean, they made Mayer look pretty good, which I'm, you know, I hate to, be, I feel like I'm bagging every ten <laughs> at the moment, but um, I thought they made him look pretty good. I felt for Jack Crowley a bit because it was such a kind of sloppy performance. I think they'd be really gutted about this one. I feel like they would have really fancied themselves going over there. I feel bad for him because there's a few moments where, like, I know he. I, just before his first penalty, he kicked one, like they were kind of pressurizing them, they were going forward, and he kicked, he tried a little chip kick that wasn't on, and he put it straight out on the full. Now, he got a penalty after it, so it kind of masked it, but that was a, that was a real try scoring opportunity, I felt, that they, they kind of, that went to begging. Um, and it was just a few things like that, they're just just loose. Like, I mean, when, look, whenever you lose to all kicks, you're kind of saying to yourself, well, we have to start asking ourselves some, some, some hard questions about where our discipline was um, and where our focus was. So, I think they'll be really disappointed. As you say, it, was, it, it had been a really positive start to the season for them, bar the, the Snyman injury, really. Um, and then they have a few kind of the heavies coming back in, in, in um, Murray and Dealanda. So, yeah, look, it's a, it's a step backwards. It'll be disappointing with that big break ahead of them as well. They'll have a lot of time to sit and think about an opportunity that I think, I mean, the Ospreys, is not a, that's not a difficult place to go anymore um, by any stretch. So, um, to my mind, that's, well... It's four gone a begging, but you know, you'd be thinking like Leinster would be thinking that's five, um, which is where Munster wanted to be. Exactly, King. Like that's the thing. You, you think that Munster have had to play away to Leinster in the knockouts. I think four seasons in a row, it's kind of hard to keep track with the co- you know the COVID breaks and stuff like that. But four seasons in a row, I think, and you have to pick up the the, the maximum points when, when there's possibilities of getting them. I, I know that maybe sounds arrogant from an Irish perspective, but Leinster and Munster would benchmark themselves. I think higher than probably every other team in the league and against some of the best teams in Europe. You have to be very ruthless about these things. Yeah, I feel like every time I'm on the podcast with you that I'm having the same conversation about <laughs> Munster. I wish you brought me on for after the Scarlets game uh, that we could actually have talked about a young, exciting Munster team playing attacking rugby because, you know, you get you get a little bit of hope and then it, like you say, it's one step forward, two steps back kind of a thing. Look, I, I, it, it was dire. Like if we're, if we're calling a spade a spade, it was such a poor performance. Um, 
like you said, Will, like there was there was experienced guys in that team. And look, to me, like I've been fairly consistent in in my thoughts on Munster. Like in, I just think there's a lot of papering over the cracks still going on here. Um, I still don't think they have an identity under this coaching staff, which is like baffling, really, considering the amount of time they've had together. Um, by all accounts, it sounds like, you know, they're going to be getting new contracts for the next couple of years. But and like to me, like that is a big decision to make because I think there's a particularly strong crop of young players coming through um, at the moment. And I, like I just, you saw it in that Scarlet's game, what Munster are capable of. Now, I know Scarlet's were pretty poor on the day, but it was a relatively strong Scarlet's team on paper. But in terms of the Ospreys' performance, yeah, like I, I, I just, I find it baffling that Munster... Don't, like their attack still seems to be totally muddled and stagnated. And while, okay, they obviously thought they could go to Swansea and bully the Ospreys up front, which to be fair, like they should have been able to get parity up front. But even you look at the try they got was a, a mall try that Craig Casey scores. Like, But I just saw very little sort of attacking intent. Like Luke, you mentioned the, the sort of invention that Connacht showed at the weekend. Like you think to... John Porch's try, like off a scrum in the center of the field. And like I, I, I always say when I'm on with you, like I'm a sucker for a good set piece try, but you just don't see much of that from a Munster point of view. Like, where is the creativity? Like, where is the invention? Um, and my, my fear and concern is that if they're not doing it now on a consistent basis, then when it comes to the crunch later in the season, it's going to be the same thing over and over again because. I just feel like a good team, right, like right now, a Leinster or a, like a La Rochelle, whoever you're, well, maybe not La Rochelle, they've kind of fallen off, but a Toulouse would really, really punish um, Munster where they are at the moment. I just don't think they've evolved much. And I think like you look at the results, like are fine on paper at the start of the season, the, the defeat last weekend was disappointing. But if you actually kind of analyse what they've done in those games, I just don't think we've seen a huge evolution, which I think is disappointing and also concerning for, for the season ahead. Interesting. Do you want to come in on that, Luke? Yeah, I mean, I suppose I still felt like they were, you know, you're better off giving the coaching staff the little bit of comfort. I think there's certainly the potential there. Uh, I still think Larkham is, is young in his coaching career. Um you know, and I think there's probably he'll be doing a bit of growing on this job. I mean, to think he's a finished article, I think it's probably wrong. But Grant, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. I I felt like there was a bit of growth there. Like I feel like they've been very unlucky. Like they've they haven't really had they haven't really had the most important position really locked down during this period. Like Joey Carby's been kind of missing here and there. I feel like that's a big reason why they haven't got a huge amount of continuity. Um, I think as well, um, you know, Snyman out was was a bit of a killer. For for them is going to be a tough one for them again. I mean, we saw Witchley go in there, but I mean, he seems is he is he a back rower really for me? Like, um, you know, he's he's a bit of a stopgap there to to my mind, you know. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I feel like he's been a little bit unlucky in that respect. But yeah, look, I did see what I thought. What I thought I, I what I really liked was how the pack was playing, um, which is really the key, I suppose, isn't it? And I thought that there was in the early parts of the season, I thought them being a little bit more adventurous there. They weren't just kind of you know fashion teams there's a little bit of you know ball handling a little bit of that because they have the players to go and do this and play that a little bit more expansively and I think that's a big that's a big thing that I think will open up the field for us and will give them opportunities to be more expansive and I saw a bit of that and I just didn't see a massive that you just it's again it feels like a bit of an ulcer thing it's like a you know a few steps forward and then one back at kind of a you know at least at least ulcers was against a pretty good team this is against a pretty bad team I don't and I don't know I'm kind of a bit, I don't really know whether to climb into them or not. My, the, 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 I'm probably not as passionate about this because Keane's obviously from from there, as you know, and it's obviously you know close to his heart. I feel like this might be one that you just brush off and, and go again, and maybe we don't judge them too harshly because there was you know a few young like Jack Crowley's first kind of real big um, you know away game, I suppose, really, isn't it? Um, you know, a few things like that that probably you know leads me to think, well, maybe we should be a little bit more yeah, patient with them. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It was pretty goddamn poor, and I just think that there was it, there. There kind of needs to be at this age. Like everyone talks about this being monster season to get silverware. They're the games that are kind of key for you to do that. You need to be. You need to have a certain level of consistency um, throughout a season, and particularly in games like this, you've got to put them away. Even if they have a massive game on their home track, 
you need to eke out a win in those ones too. Um, so that was probably what's disappointing for me because I think this team has ambitions to go that one step further and they think they believe they can do that. On the coaching staff one, I'm not 100% sure what's right. Do you give them a bit of, like, does leaving them hanging give them a bit of a push? I don't think it, I think they all seem like pretty motivated guys to get the job done. Whether they're the right people or not, I don't know. Um, is there anyone else that's kind of stand out that's available uh, for a, a, job, a job as big as Munsters? I don't know. Um, and I've probably seen just enough to keep them going, but I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's a tough one to, to uh, you know, it's a tough one to get your head around in terms of are the coaching staff the right one. I'm not sure I, I really have a clear picture on that yet, which sounds bad because they've been there for a while. Yeah, Keen, it's an interesting period they're going into now. They've obviously the four week break, you know, after this Ospreys performance, but then they go into a two week uh, or two game stint in South Africa leading into back to back European games. And then that runs into more interpros when they host Leinster at Tomlin Park and Stevens Day as well. So it's a really tough period of the season, especially how they even go about managing the South African uh, two game stint because. You know, do you bring over some of the frontline guys who will just have been, or some of them will have been in action in in Ireland camp? You have to go dealing with the traveling to South Africa. I remember last time they did it ahead of the Racing semi final a couple of years ago. They they really didn't start that game very well because if if it, if you don't start well in Europe, you're really facing down the barrel of, of a very tough season. Yeah, like just for I, I get to that, I think just like it's worth clarifying kind of my stance on it. Like it's not like I'm overreacting to one poor performance against the Ospreys last weekend. I just feel like we've seen all this before. Like even in terms of the start of last season, like Munster played some really good rugby at the start of last season, and then when it came to the crunch, it was nowhere to be seen. It reverted back to one out runners, which your the best teams can can read that like a book. So that's where I'm coming from. It's not like I'm you know going mad about one poor performance. I just think. It's something that we've seen consistently over the last couple of years, but in terms of the period that's coming up, yeah, like it's it's going like it's going to be very tricky, I think, for for every team to manage um, the next five weeks. Like it's it's a long time to go for for players without without games. Now I know there's going to be some a fixtures organised between the provinces just to keep guys ticking over. I think it's interesting that um, pretty much all four head coaches, provincial head coaches, were talking about the AIL, how a lot of players are going to play AIL over the next uh, few weeks, which is like on one hand massive for the profile of the league, but it's also going to show the value of it as well because guys need game time. But in terms of Munster, yeah, they're, they're just going to have to reassess, I think, closer to the South African tour in terms of who they bring. Cause like you said, the champions cup is coming on the back of it, but they have a relatively, I would say, favourable draw in the Champions Cup. I know Cast are always niggly, like particularly away. And like Munster and Cast have had a real kind of a few dogfights over the last couple of years that have spilled over. Um, and Wasps are, have been pretty kind of mixed in the Premiership um, at the moment. So I think they'll be glad to have a relatively decent draw. But like you said, going into that on the back of a tour to South Africa throws up a lot of um, a lot of tricky challenges, I think. I've seen so many Munster cast games. I don't need to see any more. And I don't need to see Leinster play Montpellier ever again. Right. I, I feel Leinster like... went through a period with cast as well. We just couldn't shake them. It's like we got oh. them all the time. Oh. Yeah, cast, oh, cast always qualify. And I've never contributed a single memorable Champions Cup moment, I'd say, in the, like the 20 plus years they've been qualifying. There's a couple of French teams you could say that. They not shaft us. I'm trying to think that they shaft us with a loss in our in the year we won... Or was it the year before we won our first uh, Heineken Cup? Yeah, Cass beat Leinster that year and Sexton played and then I think got dropped and ended up playing AIL for a couple of weeks uh, after losing to Castaway. I think I, no, I think I played, I think I played first centre in it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Memories. The glory, the glory days. Glory days, uh, yeah. yeah. Dems were um, the days. <laughs> but yeah, maybe just to finish up that odd Leinster, Luke, uh, you know, another, as, as we kind of were saying from the Munster perspective, the kind of game you want to be winning if you if you have designs on winning a trophy, going to Glasgow, coming away with the bonus point and playing some really good rugby at times as well uh, last Friday night. Yeah, that Booker battle is pretty intense, isn't it? <laughs> um, both of those boys are serious operators. I mean, I thought that... Um, I thought that Sean Crone would be a bit of a loss, but like the two lads are just, they're, they're brilliant players. Uh, they've replaced them so well. I mean, they obviously knew that they had some, you know, kind of ready-made guys there and they both look brilliant. Um, thought there was lots to be positive about. Uh, as you say, there was some very expansive stuff. I thought there was lots of people who kind of put their hands up as well. Um, Lancer just keep on going, don't they? I mean, that, that Glasgow team is, it's not, it's not what it was, but it's still a pretty tough, uh, you know, team to, to play against. And I thought they looked really, really tidy and comfortable. Now, they'd be a little bit, they were a little bit sloppy at times as well. Um, definitely some stuff to work on, but 
overall, they looked comfortable, didn't they? And they finished strong. Yeah, Keen, what, what, what have you made of Leicester over the last couple of weeks? You know, we haven't had you on since I think after the Dragons game where, you know, I think we both reflected on it. It was a, it was a, it was a bizarre and, and dire match. But how have you felt they've been playing in the, in the couple of weeks since? Yeah, I was at I was covering the the Scarlets game and I thought they were they were pretty good. But again, you know, we mentioned Munster playing the Scarlets. Scarlets are just in a pretty poor position at the moment. And I thought like Leinster parts of it got kind of dragged down to their level. Now I know can't remember what the score was, but they scored a load of tries and it looked brilliant. But yeah, there was sloppy bits in it. I think like they're kind of probably in second gear to be honest. Um, I think they've had really good parts in certain games. Even the first game of the season against the Bulls, some of their play was really impressive. But you just know they have gears to go through and like you'd fully expect them. I think Luke is right. The the shootout between um, Dan Sheehan and Ronan Keller, like for me, is going to be one of the most expo- exciting aspects, I think, of Irish rugby over the next couple of years. Uh, I was talking to one of my mates about this the other day. It kind of reminds me of like the Irish soccer situation, Gavin Bizzunu and Quivy and Kelleher. Like, you know, you have two absolute like kind of once in a generation kind of talents come along at the same time in the same position. It's going to be fascinating to see how it works out. Like, they're just scoring like like tit for tat, like tries. And, you know, like I think the set piece has been decent. Like uh, Dan Sheehan has particularly, I think, good throw um, if you watch it. Um, but yeah, like and I, I'm not surprised at all that he got called into the to the Ireland squad, to be honest. Uh, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how they go about the, the sort of the hooker battle because Rob Herring, to be fair, has been playing really well for Ulster. And I thought... It was interesting. I was listening to Bernard Jackman um, last week talking about Rob Herring and his throw, like uh, like the technicalities of it. And he was saying that he had never like noticed it before, taken stock of it before, but that he's genuinely one of the best hookers around, which sort of tallies with why he's been in the in the Irish team, I guess, for so often. You know, you think of Paul O'Connell like putting so much stock in the set piece, but. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see if Andy Farrell sticks with Rob Herring because he hasn't done anything wrong to, to lose his place. But like Ronan Keller is obviously coming hard as it heals. And I'd expect Dan Sheehan to get capped. Probably, you'd imagine, in the Argentina game, maybe off the bench. But um, it's a great position to be in, I think, for Leinster. And even just a touch on, I thought Kieran Frawley was really good again. Um, I know he's been a bit of a favourite on this pod, but like... <laughs> He, he really has the potential, I think, to, to make Ireland play a different way. Like, and I think it'll be fascinating to see how they use him. Like, it sounds like Robbie Henshaw might miss the Japan game. Now, would you throw him in for, for the Japan game at 12 or would they go back to, you know, the, sort of the reliable Bundiaki and Gary, Gary Ringrose in, in the centre? But I, I hope he gets a chance to start one of the three games, either the Japan or the Argentina game, because... Like he was, he really impressed me at the Scarlets game. I think he's a he's a player when you see him live. You know, we talk so much. You have a greater appreciation for what he does, and we, we talk so much about the like how Ireland are so dependent on Johnny Sexton in terms of the attack to flow. But I think having that second playmaker, a guy who's really comfortable at it, I think over the last couple of years. Ireland have been trying to get the likes of like Robbie Henshaw and Gary Ringrose, Hugo Keenan involved in that second playmaker. But it comes really naturally to, to Frawley because obviously, as Luke would say, his best position is a 10. Um, but I think that that can open serious doors for Ireland and Leinster having that second playmaker, second pair of eyes for a guy that really, really slots in seamlessly. So I really hope we get to see uh, a bit of that for Ireland over the next few weeks. Well, definitely one of the selection talking points we'll be discussing as we get towards November. Keen, just before we wrap up, maybe I know it was announced last week, but it was after we recorded the show. Greg Williams is coming in as the Ireland women's head coach. Obviously, there was a bit of uncertainty after failing to qualify for the World Cup in Adam Griggs' position. Uh, Greg Williams previously been in there as an assistant coach with Philip Doyle during that period of great success and has gone over to America and been involved with the men's US Eagles team and uh, I think director of rugby at Yale University as well. So as a extensive CV, uh, what do you make of the appointment? Yeah, I think it's really exciting. I think he's a guy who knows Irish women's rugby really well. Um, like you mentioned, he went off to America for a few years and has built up like huge experience there. Um, I remember chatting to him the last time USA were back over, and like he's a really impressive guy. And I think the one thing a lot of the players who worked with him previously was said with how good of a sort of a people person he is, and that he really like he really understands it, he really gets it. But he's also like a very clever coach. Like the players really liked um, the way he went about it. He's innovative. He, he wants to play attacking rugby. I think it's been probably a difficult spell for Adam Griggs. And, you know, Ireland have two games coming up um, in the next few weeks, which is 
really important, I think, because if they didn't have these November games, I mean, the World Cup disappointment just lingers for a little bit longer. Now, Adam Briggs is going to stay in charge for those two games, which is sort of a strange appointment. I, I'm sorry, sort of a strange situation, I guess, because he knows that he's going to be leaving. But I'm sure Greg Matt Williams will be in and about. Um, from what I heard, uh, I know Rory O'Connor had a piece in the paper today about the women's AIL. And I think Greg Matt Williams was at a couple of the games that he was there this weekend. So look, He's already getting stuck into it. He might not be in the role officially until I think it's December 1st, but I think it's a really shrewd appointment and hopefully he gets the resources that he needs to, to get the women's game back on track because missing out in next year's World Cup is just such a disappointment. So hopefully it's a clean slate for everyone. Yeah, look, exactly. It's good to be able to turn the page, obviously, after that disappointment of not qualifying and getting a good appointment like Greg Williams. Greg's excellent. Yeah, no, I'm a little bit personally... Um, coached down in Blackrock for a little bit um, really nice guy I think he'll bring a good feel to it as well uh, which they're going to need after the disappointment as, as Keane was alluding to about the you know the missing out in the World Cup um, sometimes you just need a positive voice in there uh, you know providing a clear direction and he'll have that um, he's had loads of experience I think it's good that he's done a bit around the world I know you know it's over in the States uh, and still obviously developing over there but, you know, obviously he was next to Gary Gold, pretty experienced operator as well. He's had, a, you know, he's been next to some pretty good guys um, who I think he'll have learned off. And I think he's a very promising young coach, one to watch, I think, actually. So it'll be interesting to see how he gets on with the Irish women's job. Um, and I think, it, you know, it is a big one at this stage because they are fighting for resources. We obviously had a very interesting conversation a couple of weeks ago around that. I'm not going to dig that back up again, but... Um, there are challenges there, particularly with the, the sevens game being probably the key part or the key funding part uh, for the women's game because of the Olymp- you know, the, the, the obviously um, uh, the Olympic Games and the, the funding that you get from that really kind of supports the game. So he is fighting a bit for resources there, but um, no better guy to get everyone on the same page, feeling good about things. And, and oftentimes, you know, a deep dive isn't always what you need. Um after you know a big kind of loss, sometimes you just need a feel-good factor in the group again, a bit of positivity, um, and it's kind of amazing how far he can go. And he doesn't have to you know kind of reinvent the wheel in terms of the tactics. Oftentimes, it's just clear direction, you know, you know, easy, simple game plan. Um, and I think there's plenty of quality there. We can see that from the sevens um, for for the women to get back on uh, on track. Well, I'd like to thank Luke and Keane for joining me on this week's podcast. We'll be back next week with another show. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or listen at independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening. Goodbye.